Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Well, welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and we're going to talk about the Kingdom of God, and I actually have a number of topics I could talk about. And I haven't decided on which one is where we ought to go yet. So we're just going to kind of wing it. Uh, a lot of things have been happening in the network. A lot of things have been happening here. Busy, busy, busy. But uh, we're having a festival the end of this month uh, where people can come and we can sit around the campfire and talk about whatever you want to talk about. There's a lot of things we do not talk about on the radio, uh, there are things difficult to understand, um, and there are things that can be misconstrued or misunderstood without face-to-face conversations, so we save those for the times where we can get together. There's some things I don't even talk about on the phone, but uh, there's a lot of personal interaction. You know, we... We have become such an intellectual society, or at least uh, so much in our heads. It's not always intellectual in the sense of highly intelligent. We can preoccupy our minds with all kinds of uh, chitter-chatter, thinking, imagination. You know, we have the uh, media that uh, shows us uh, videos and games and drama we become a very visual society because of the uh, tv and movie uh, media that is available to us everything is what you see and what you see is not always reality it's uh, they can make almost any effects on uh, movies that look like real but it's not real they just make it up uh, violence uh, pornography all these things are all visual But that's mental too, because it's performing a visual image. Words are more drawing a picture with the uh, the symbols of words. Words are the symbols of ideas, and you put them together and and you talk about ideas. All that is in the intellect, that is in the head, that is not spirit. It is a product of a spiritual reality, but to think in this spirit, to think about things in a spiritual way, um, in other words, directly from the leading of the Holy Spirit. That's something else. That's not easily done. And it often requires that we turn off the intellect, turn off the imagination, and receive the teachings of the Holy Spirit. Now, how do you know that you're being guided by the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God, the Creator, and not the unholy spirit of evil, of demonic influences. How do you know which spirit is speaking to your heart and to your mind? Lots of people meditate to quiet the mind so that they can listen to the leading of the spirit. But what spirit is leading them? And how do you get closer to the Holy Spirit and farther away from the evil spirits? Because there are realms in the universe that bring about the 
world in which we live. They influence the world in which we live. And one of those realms we call heaven, the other one we call hell. And we have all kinds of imaginary teachings about what it's like in hell. Um, I saw a comedy routine with, uh, uh, is it John Gleese, uh, the comedian, uh, who was talking about uh, starting a church. And he's being, he's very anti-church. I don't know if he's anti-God, but he's certainly anti-church. And he was making fun of the church as he understands it from what he sees when he looks out his window and door into the world and sees what is representing itself as the church. And he's talking about like, if you join our church and you cooperate with this, then you'll be, you'll have great retirement when you die. And if you don't, then you will burn in hell where uh, red uh, devils will poke you with sharp pointy things for eternity uh, forever and ever and so anyway that's that's kind of a comedial but connected to what people imagine hell is you know with your Dante's Inferno type hell where everybody is punished and, and God is sending people to punish them and actually uh, these realms we call heaven and hell are probably a lot more practical, a lot more, uh, you know, in some ways like life here requires expenditure of energy and uh, the angels were all moving in a particular direction, doing things in a particular way. And while the what we call the fallen angels, they may have an organization and, and way in which they do things. And, and it's all seemingly about you know, what picture we draw in these imaginary realms or real realms or these realms that are outside of what we think is our physical experience. And in hell, there's a dog-eat-dog mentality, an authoritarian mentality, a rule-over-you mentality. And in heaven, there's supposed to be a care about you, care about your rights, care about your choices, care about, you know, you as an individual as much as they care about themselves. That's one of the distinguishing ideas that supposedly govern these two realms. Well, in this life, you may be governed by these ideas as well. Do you love your neighbor as yourself? Or do you love yourself more than your neighbor? Do you care about what you have? What's You know, I, I remember always going to a meeting where somebody uh, was talking about injustices from the local county uh, district attorney and district attorney's office and which was implemented by the police and the police knew that the district attorney was a cocaine addict i i i knew his girlfriend i knew his girlfriend's husband <laughs> and yes he was a cocaine addict i knew of police officers that seen him going into court where there was still cocaine on his uh, upper lip uh, under his nose because he had been snorting cocaine just before he was going into court. And there were all kinds of abuses going on. I knew uh, where the hotel was that uh, it, where the uh, shippers from uh, Mexico brought up cocaine and divided it up to be redistributed in Oregon. Uh, I knew of the state trooper who was assassinated by these cocaine dealers and the Mexican Mafia. 
I knew where the house was that they received the shipment of cocaine and probably other drugs in uh, these little lawn ornaments, these little statue lawn ornaments. Uh, that's how they got it into the country. And uh, then they smashed the, uh, certain ones in the uh, garage there. And uh, and then they had to get rid of all the others. So they paid guys to sell them on the street corners uh, so that it would look like some sort of legitimate business. All that was going on in that uh, city, Klamath Falls, uh, not very far from us. And the... You know, drug departments, federal drug departments knew about it. They couldn't do anything about it because the corruption went high up in uh, the government there. And yet, still in that city of Klamath Falls, there were a lot of honest people, hardworking people, people caring about their families. But this corruption was allowed to live in their community, immune to any kind of prosecution federal or even state prosecution. Like I say, State Highway Patrol tried to investigate this, was murdered. He was murdered by two Mexican fellows who were put in prison, in a federal prison near the Mexican border, and miraculously escaped across the border. They had murdered, uh, openly in his car, walked up and shot a state trooper, and were fed uh, you know, prosecuted, put into federal prison very close to the Mexican border where they escaped, you know, from this high security prison and escaped across the border. You know, that takes people pulling strings. That that takes a great deal of corruption. And of course, you're dealing with millions and, and even a billion dollar industry. So there's all kinds of corruption going on while people are still going to church having children, take care of their families, and all this corruption goes on right in the midst of the same community. Well, now, let's take that analogy and go into your own bodies. You can be a pretty nice guy, and uh, you take care of your family, you go to work, you uh, take care of your cats, you take care of your dog, you take care of maybe even help out some of your relatives and maybe your neighbor, and you're a nice guy. You, you do, do wonderful things for your neighbor or a gal. Um, and uh, you seem like you're pretty good. But there can be elements of your life where there's corruption. Where you actually encourage evil. Where you stimulate, condone, allow, and encourage evil to go on. Uh, what, how do you distinguish that? How do you see that? Maybe you don't even see it. Maybe it goes on and it's completely, uh, not, you're not aware of it. But you're actually weakening the people around you, encouraging that weakness around you, to the point where evil begins to take hold of people's lives and control their lives. In your physical body, you can eat right, you can uh, exercise, you can get fresh air, and you can develop cancer. Actually, I was working around somebody who had a hernia recently. And uh, they actually had a double hernia. And they actually gone in for an operation. And I had been working around them. And I noticed every day that when I came home from work, 
uh, I had these terrible pains in my groin as if I had a hernia. But I didn't seem to have a hernia. And I, you know, I'd never had a hernia, so I wasn't even really sure what the pains would feel like. And so I didn't make the connection. I thought, well, now what was I doing that my muscles would be so stiff that I would have this pain that would actually almost double me over? Well, I didn't go to work at that place for several days, and the pain went away. And then I went back to work there for a couple days, and the pain came back again. And I realized that it's my body was picking up on his pain. And I was feeling his pain, actually feeling it. And I thought it was some sort of problem in my body. My muscles were tensing up because he was in pain. And it was telling me about him. It was a message coming in to me about him. And, uh, and, and, you know, actually, I, I knew about this process before because I've seen it. My daughters have experienced it where they actually touch somebody who's in pain and they suddenly feel their pain. And they communicate. That person literally communicates their distress and pain to, you know, the sensitive people that actually come near them or touch them and they feel their pain. Now, of course, when somebody touched Jesus Christ, who was at a deformity and something malfunctioning in their body for years and years until they had spent all their money at uh, doctors trying to solve this and it never was solved. And yet when they touched Jesus, they were not only, not only did he feel them touch him, they were healed. So this is, you know, we think of this as some sort of just, that's a miracle. But the reality is that's a process of the wholeness of nature. There's a connection between your physical ailments and the spiritual reality uh, of your soul and heart and mind. Now, it was asked of Jesus several times that, uh, you know, about this person who had some sort of deformity. Is this because of his parents' sin or because of his sin? Or they didn't say, or is it just, just, is this just something bad that accidentally happened to him? And Jesus said that it was because that this deformity was there to actually manifest the glory of God, the power of God, the dunamis of God, the ability of God to heal him. And people say, oh, so then it wasn't because of his parents' sin or his sin. No, that's not what Jesus is saying. What he is saying is that God does not punish you to be mean. He punishes you so that you turn around and go another way. That you follow another way. That you reach out for another way. So that His power can come in and heal you. He wants you to be healed. He he wants, and that's His love. His love is life. He wants you to be whole again. He doesn't want you to suffer. He's not, uh, these things are not coming about uh, because God wants to punish you. Because you sinned and now He's going to teach you a lesson. You know, that's our thinking. You know, because we're judgmental. 
We're angry. We're resentful. We want to punish the wicked. But God is not trying to be mean to the wicked. He's trying to help the wicked turn around and turn towards life because the way they're going is taking them towards death. And we see that with... So disease and sickness is a product of sin. Either your parents' sin or your sin or your neighbor's sin or somebody's sin. It is a product of straying away from the tree of life. That's what brings disease about. But the disease is not brought about to punish you, to be mean to you, to make you suffer because God wants to see you suffer because you didn't listen to Him. No, God wants you to come back to Him. Come back to life. God is a giver of life. And so that's what He's calling out for you to do is so that you can receive the, the power of God and be healed. So why aren't we healed? You know, if somebody says, I'm sorry, Lord, I'm praying to you, why am I not healed? Because you're praying to God in your mind. You're, you're in your intellect thinking, I know God is good. I know God is righteous. I know God is what I want to have a part of. And I, I'm praying to that God. But you're doing it in your mind. In the, in the tree of knowledge. You're not really doing it yet in the spirit. Now you, now this is where we, we've been going in this conversation. In Klamath Falls, you have good people, you have bad people, and they're all living in the same community. Well, you can have good intent, and you can have bad intent, and it's all living within your body. Your intent is not pure. Your intent is not whole. And therefore, your body is not whole. You're not completely healthy. Because there are aspects of your mind and your heart and your soul that are not purified. You can't purify them. You can't make yourself whole. But God can. But why doesn't God make you whole? You prayed to Him. You said words in your head about, Oh God, make me whole. But you were not made whole. And you say, Has God failed? Was your prayer prayer as pure as you should be? Is there something still going on in you? Some sort of judgment or anger or imperfection that is blocking the healing that God wants to give you. All those other people were around Jesus and touching Him, but they were not healed of all their elements. There's a place in the Bible where it talks about everybody who came to Jesus, came to Christ, was healed. And people think, well, that all you have to do is walk over to Christ and you'll be healed. No. It's those who really came to Him, really reached out in faith and touched Him. Not everybody who walked over to this man standing there was healed. He actually uh, shoes away people who are workers of iniquity. And tells them nothing. Because you tell me nothing. You think you're a blind guide. He's not healing those guys. But there they are meeting with Jesus. They came to Jesus. But they didn't come to Jesus. They didn't. They weren't willing to receive the truth. And therefore, even though they were there, they were not. They did not receive the healing of Jesus Christ. Because they would not receive the whole truth.
So, if we're going to help other people, which God wants us to do, He wants us to love others as much as we love ourselves, we have to become whole. Because, you know, there are many different ways in which we weaken the people around us. We, we are not always encouraging righteousness. We will actually, because of our own failing about ourselves and our own willingness to un, not see the truth about ourselves, we will weaken people around us. We will not strengthen the poor. We will weaken them. And of course, we see programs like welfare. Uh, somebody was just telling me in Australia, if you're a retired individual in Australia and you're... Uh, you're getting your retirement check from the government, your 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 equivalent to Social Security check from the government. It will amount to like three hundred dollars a week, which would you know be what is that uh, twelve hundred dollars a month, a little more. Is a little more than four weeks in a in a month. But if you're an illegal immigrant to Australia. And come in and claim refugee status. Once you get there. You know, you just come in on a boat and suddenly you're in the country and you say, I, I'm a refugee. Uh, you know, I, I have to escape my country and so I'm a refugee. They, you will get $470 a week. Instead of 300 like somebody who's worked all their life. Paid into the system all their life. And and they get less than you who came into the country illegally and said, I'm a refugee. Now, of course, that's, that's not only unfair <laughs> to, the, to the worker who has also supplied the 470, but it's, it's crazy. It encourages people. You know, and sometimes fairly well off people because you, you figure they're going to, they'll pay $5,000 to get on a boat and claim to be refugees because the government will pay that back to them in one year. They'll get all that money back. And then there's the next year and the next year and the next year. And they, you know, assumedly eventually they'll get uh, some sort of status and then they'll bring their relatives over and, and, but the point is, is that this is uh, hanging a, a carrot out to encourage people to come to that country at the expense of people who have been working all their lives. It's kind of insane. But now, let's listen the next half of the show. Let's let's see if we can translate that over into the spiritual reality, it, not in your country, but in your own body, in your own soul in your own heart, in your own mind, where you're actually encouraging evil and wickedness and abuse. And we'll be back and we'll talk about that on Keys of the Kingdom.
welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. I, I read an article by um, Coach David. He was talking about uh, some of the uh, things that he sees and observes coming up in this country. And he was talking about a rebellious nation has released a spirit of rebellion across this land that has targeted those who are chain, charged with upholding the law. As we are about to discover, there are not enough handcuffs to restrain a man whose heart has disconnected from the lawgiver. We have shed blood, and now bloodshed is knocking on our door. Well, physically, we have not always loved our neighbor as ourselves. We've loved ourselves a little bit more, and we have adjusted our activities, our relationships with other people for what those other people could provide us, give us, grant us, you know, uh, offer us over what we should do for them. And, you know, one of the things we should do for them, as many as I love, I also rebuke. Take, for example, the spoiled child, the spoiled rich child. And in America, almost all children were rich. Uh, the middle class was rich by international standards. And so most children were raised in rich families. They may not have been as rich as the family next door or the family down the street. But compared to the poor in most countries, even the poor in America are often rich. You know, if you want to see poor, you go to India, you go to, go to the slums of the world, uh, and you will see poor, where people uh, don't sit in a rocking chair on the front step of their unpainted house, uh, waiting for uh, Meals on Wheels to deliver food to their front door because they are poor. In those countries, the poor are skin and bones sitting in the dirt in a hovel. Uh, that's poor. They would think the person sitting on the porch in a rocking chair was rich, even though their house was unpainted, even though the, the meal was provided by charity. To them, that's wealth beyond their wildest dreams. So, really, everybody in America... Almost everybody in America has been raised as wealthy children. Now, I'm not saying there weren't hardships. You know, my, my own daughters were talking about uh, when they would visit other people uh, who, you know, worked and everything. Uh, they, they were going to fix a meal and there wasn't, you know, and one, or, or fix, make something and there wasn't butter in the house. Oh, we don't have money for butter. Um, not even for margarine. Uh, they, they looked around the house. There was no food in another time, uh, to make, uh, sandwiches for everybody. There was some bread and a little tiny bit of cheese and they sliced the cheese so you could see through it and made cheese sandwiches, uh, so that the kids could all eat because there wasn't food in the house. They were out of toilet paper. The husband was working, but he was drinking up the money and he was abusive. They grew up in that. And then they, they would go to school and occasionally the teachers would be abusive. And this affected the children for the rest of their lives. Now, it didn't necessarily have to because there was be a, there's a way in which you can overcome these traumas in life. But still, even in that household, compared to many of the, the poor of the world, they were well off. They, they lived in a house that was not freezing in the winter. 
They had clothes. There was always plenty of clothes in America. I mean, they, they actually lived, one of the families lived right across the street from a clothing and knickknack shop that was kind of like, a, you know, it was a charitable deal. If anybody needed clothes, they could come in and they could just get, receive them for nothing. They, they took only donations for what people wanted to buy. And so they were always having clothes donated. They were folding them and stacking them up in their little tiny, it's an old house, and they've kind of converted it into a shop. And you could go in there and you could pay a dollar, you could pay ten dollars, you could walk out with clothes for nothing. And so there was never a problem with having enough clothes in these communities. If kids didn't have a good jacket because their parents drank up the money, the people at the school would buy them a jacket and uh, give them a jacket. Every every year, there's there's women who get together and look for kids who don't have jackets, and then they go out and buy jackets for those kids so that they have warm clothing. My experience, with, mostly with homeschoolers, is that often the kids seem to not wear their jacket. They go out without their coat in the winter time, but then come spring, they're still wearing their coat on the warm days. <laughs> so. But I, I don't know. Maybe that's part of that rebellion uh, in uh, born in the nature of children, uh, that they're born rebels. They resist authority. But anyway, the point is they grow up in our society. Many kids grow up in our society spoiled. We always hear the phrase, spoiled little rich kid. And uh, somebody works hard and sacrifices and... It focuses on their business and they build a big business and they build wealth for their family. And the next generation, or at least uh, by the third generation, they lose it all because they lack certain disciplines and they lack certain character. And they, they don't have the sense of sacrifice that was necessary to build this uh, estate and home. And why? Because the parents indulge the children and they weaken them by what they thought was love. Give them what they want. You know, what they thought was forgiveness. They did things wrong and they forgave them. But they didn't require recompense. And you see, they they were not seen that if I do this with my child, if I don't rebuke my child, If I don't make it difficult for my child, my child will become a spoiled rich kid and lose everything that I give them because they won't appreciate it. They won't have earned it. And so we see this generation after generation. Somebody builds up wealth and somebody loses the wealth. Somebody builds up a business and somebody tears the business down the next generation or the third generation after that. Why? Because... Somebody didn't see something, their their relation in the process. And they weakened their own children. Remember, the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah was in the time of affluence. They did not strengthen the poor. The fact that there was homosexuality and sodomy and uh, evidently rioting in the streets of Sodom and Gomorrah where people would abuse uh, strangers, etc. All that was a byproduct of the fact that in a time of affluence, 
They did not strengthen the poor. They weakened the poor. And our relationships with our children, we can weaken our children. We can be, you know, you have the father trying to discipline the child and or vice versa. It could be the mother trying to discipline the child and the other parent is undermining their authority. Common. It isn't necessarily a psychosis or anything. It's just common. Why? Because the man and the woman are not really together. They're not one in spirit. And they are battling each other. And and sometimes the parent may be not correctly disciplining their children. The other parent is not correctly giving license to their children. They're actually undermining and weakening their children and making their children more dependent. And all this may be a product of the way in which they were raised. They didn't deal with certain issues when they were raised. They didn't forgive their parents. And so, therefore, they become like one of their parents who may have been that same enabler, who enabled enabled sloth, enabled the person to exist without the repercussions of sin. And so, the sin grew in them until now maybe they're grown and they're alcoholics or they're addicted to drugs, which we can say, oh, well, clearly this is a problem. But maybe they're just addicted to the same personality of their parents. They become like their parents, or at least one of their parents, and they're doing the same thing that their parents did. What breaks this cycle from generation to generation? Now, that phrase, generation to generation, you see that in the Bible, in Daniel. The kingdom of God is from generation to generation. But the kingdom of God is not in a vacuum. The kingdom of God and His righteousness, because it's not really His kingdom unless it also includes His righteousness. And that righteousness will include rebuke. It will include, you know, people like Jesus saying to Peter, Get ye behind me, Satan. You know, we don't have the inflection inflection tone of Jesus when He said that. Did He say, Get ye behind me, Satan. You know, when he spoke to Peter. Or did he say, get me, get thee behind me, Satan? You know, oh, how did he say it? Well, we don't know. We can't tell from the text. But maybe we do know in our hearts. Because he loved Peter. Even though he knew Peter was going to betray him, he loved Peter. I know people who get sick, get ill. And you try to share with them the truth of how to be healed in an instant. You have to touch their heart with faith, hope, and charity. The same as the woman touched the garment of Jesus Christ. Because when she did that, energy came into her and she was healed instantly. Years and years of uh, dragging around the, the burden of this illness and healed instantly. Because she believed that if I touched that, I would receive the healing. But it was because she was ready to receive the healing that she was healed. And she had to get down to the point where she was broke and desperate before she would let go of that which kept her from being healed. Christ was an instrument in that. But he himself said, it's not me that saved you. It's your faith. Your faith in what? Faith in the truth. You know, How did the apostles know that she had spent everything she had on doctors trying to heal this problem? Well, she had conversations with them afterwards and she told what she was feeling. And it says, I I trusted in doctors. 
I trusted in, in their medicines. And I spent everything I had so that they would heal me when really what I needed to do is see the truth about myself. Have faith in the truth about myself. And then I could receive healing. And she could hear Jesus and she knew he was saying things that were important. And she was drawn towards him, not just the words he said. She was drawn towards the light that he could offer. And when she re- she believed that if she touched him, she would receive that light, that life, that healing. And she was. But because she was ready to see the truth. And therefore, then when she talks about it, she immediately says... I had my faith in the wrong place. I had my faith in men. Men would make me happy. Men in medical coats. Men who would cater to my desires. Men who would support me. Men who would whatever. And they didn't. They weakened her until she was broke. Until she was not only broke financially, but physically broke. You see, what happens in the spiritual realm eventually manifests itself in the physical realm in the form of disease. It's not God punishing you, although we may call it punishment. It's God trying to call you to awaken. I will not strive with you forever. Repent and be healed instantly. No medical charges. <laughs> instantly. This is the pro- But we are a rebellious nation. And those who are charged with imparting to you the Holy Spirit, shining light on your, your in your way so that you know where to go. You know, they can't, they're not the source of the power, but they are to be, you know, light bearers in this community so that you may see the truth and let the truth set you free. They, you, you block them. You fight against them. You argue against them. And usually why? Self. You want. I want this. I think this would be better. And you make up all kinds of reasons why it's better. But you're you're weakening people. You're enticing people. You're encouraging the weakness in people. So that they abandon their responsibilities. They abandon what is right. And they cater to you. You know, you buy the love of your children. You give them what they want. You addict them to getting what they want by doing what you want. And then you wonder why they get mixed up with somebody who manipulates and controls them. And why they're addicted to this subservient relationship. You know, you're raising women to be abused because you're weakening them by giving them what they want. I don't want to make trouble. I want I want to make peace, so I give them what they want. I cater to their baser desires, their weakness. I spoil them, and they become addicted to being spoiled. And then some narcissist comes along and spoils them, and they're addicted to them. They abuse them too, but then you know that's what a narcissist. He can be extremely nice, and then he can turn on you. And you see this with women who keep going back to abusive relationships. They can't help it. They're addicted to it. And who got them addicted to it? Their parents. You know, other people that they had relationships as they were growing up. Now, all that can go away with light. 
And all you have to do is... Now, it can go away. But just because you bring light in the room doesn't mean that people will choose the light. Many people choose the darkness. When you, it is bringing light in the room that casts out demons. But most of the demons leave with the people. The people leave with the demons. There are occasions where you will cast out a demon and it will leave the person. But Jesus warns... And we're talking about casting out the influence of the demon in their life. Not necessarily. They're not always possessed, but they're influenced. But they choose that influence because they choose not the truth. So this is the process. You want to you want to get healthy? Get healthy spiritually. And that doesn't mean mumble religious words over and over again. It doesn't mean, you know, bury your head in the Bible and memorize all kinds of quotes and all that kind of stuff. It doesn't mean not read the Bible, but it doesn't mean that by reading the Bible that you're automatically going to be saved. By reciting certain words, I believe in Jesus, I believe in Jesus, I do believe in Jesus, that isn't going to automatically save you. Where is your heart? Where is your spirit really at? You know, uh, Coach uh, Dave also said, uh, quoted President Eisenhower, who warned, law and force cannot change a man's heart. Electing a new president is not going to change or make America great. The fact is, is that the die is cast, and it's cast in the spirit. And the spirit of the people is the spirit of rebellion. A a rebellion against what? Righteousness. You know, some people say, oh, a 501c3 church, we want to get rid of the 501c3. We don't want to be a 501c3 church, and then we will be closer to God. Bunk. Absolutely not. There are people in 501c3 churches that are closer to God than people who are in non-501c3 churches. Because that's not what determines it. Now, God may have put them in that 501c3 church because He has a mission for them. And He hasn't awakened them yet to understanding. Now, 501c3 uh, applications with a 1023 binds the church. They don't understand that. But in their heart, they may be closer to God than the, the preacher of a non-501c3 church. I don't know. I mean, that can, that can be. That can actually be a reality. And when God is ready, He will awaken them to the other. And, he, and they will be removed. They will be rejected. They will be cast out. You have to remember the Israelites were cast out of Pharaoh, uh, Pharaoh's Egypt. Early Christians were baptized thousands each day. They were being cast out of a system because the system didn't want to have them in there anymore. But really what was saving them is the fact that light was coming into their hearts. Truth was coming into their hearts. When the Pharisees came to listen to John the Baptist, they stood far back. They didn't, get, they didn't come up close. But people who were coming close to Christ, those people are going to manifest the light of Christ. And those people will be cast out. People want some sort of form you fill out and suddenly you're free. Some sort of, you know, ten steps uh, to being set free. If I do this and I do this and I sign these papers and say these magic words, then they will make me a free man under God. No, it doesn't work that way. You have to let the light in. What draws you closer? Seek the kingdom of God and His righteousness. He's giving you the code. You have to seek to be righteous with other people. I started writing something just uh, 
the other day because somebody in Australia uh, who who just doesn't seem to understand the gospel. I mean, he says he believes in Jesus and he reads the Bible, but he just has not really got it. And he said, could you please show me the scripture that show uh, my good works are by giving money to another person, another person to administer my gifts. In other words, he has an aversion to the idea of the church as an institution and ministers to whom you would give, you know, like a tithe, funds, and then those ministers go about and manage the daily ministration to the poor and the needy of your society. And he says, he doesn't believe that that's okay. He thinks he can, I can just, you know, I read my Bible and I believe in Jesus and I believe Jesus is the Son of God. And if I come across somebody who needs help, I will help them. And that's all I need to do. We don't need any institution called the church or the ecclesia, whatever you want to call it. Well, Jesus thought you did. He says, I appoint unto you a kingdom as my Father has appointed unto me. And he said this to who? The apostles. He says, I am going to take the kingdom away from you and I'm going to give it to another group talking to the Pharisees that will bear fruit. And he tells you how he's going to build the kingdom. I'm going to build this upon, not by flesh and blood, but by internal, personal, spiritual revelation. And I'm going to establish everything with two or more witnesses. And he trained up disciple students. That's what disciples mean, that he was going to eventually appoint this kingdom too. That was at hand. That was actually had a mission. Go and feed my sheep. Take care of one another. Love one another. So Jesus thought there was a need for an ecclesia. It's those that he calls out and appoints a particular job to with particular criteria which he expels out in detail. And we show where he said, if in order to be one of my disciples, one of my student ministers that I'm going to appoint the kingdom to, you must give up all that you have as a personal estate. Exactly what Moses said to the Levites. The pattern repeats itself. Were the Levites managing the charity of society? Were people giving money to the Levites, money and goods and sheep and value, and they could take any sheep you gave them, they could take and sell and turn into something else that they needed. If they needed more grain and less sheep, they could sell some sheep and get grain. They could do this. And they had ministers doing this. They didn't use the word charity. They used the word free will offering, which is charity. The same as the church was able to do to take care of the needy of society in a daily ministration. And we'll talk more about that and how that draws you near to Christ, to the kingdom of heaven, and to his righteousness, if you are willing to go there. We'll be right back. Hang in there.
have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net. Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Well, welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. So we're talking about uh, being whole, being healthy. And you cannot be healthy in body unless you're healthy in mind and spirit. And we do not know the pattern. We're not given the pattern. We're given a genetic pattern at birth, but we're not given the pattern of God. We're, we're created in the image of our parents. Uh, we're created in the image of society that raises us up. But originally we were created in the image of God. And when we're created in the image of God, He has the pattern. He gives us the pattern. So how do we draw near God so that God is the creative force in our life? That He, we're not perfect, but we are perfected in Him. In Christ, we see Him. And so, you know, we can say things like, uh, what would Christ do? But how do we answer that? What part of our mind is answering that? Now, the question is a good prayer. But our brains can fill in what Christ would do. There's a lot of people out there that think they're doing the will of Christ and they're actually doing their workers of iniquity. So who's going to answer that question in your heart and in your mind? Is it God? What would God do? What does God want me to do? I mean, the prayer itself is good because you're realizing I don't have the answer. Something else has the answer, and that's God. Now, what God are you praying to? Well, that's because you make a decision deep down in your heart and in your soul whether you're going to accept the light of God in your heart or not. So, we actually were discussing last night that people, you know, they talk about habits. There's seven habits to success, and uh, where we we practice. You know, my uh, my granddaughters uh, were here, and they got to see each other, and they were playing. You know, I saw them coming through. Normally, the the one girl plays with her brothers, and she's walking through with a lightsaber or a stick gun or something, and going out to or bow and arrow or something. You know, some boy activity because she plays with her brothers a lot. Now she's getting to play with another girl about her own age. And they're walking through carrying umbrellas and dolls and girly things. And uh, so she's going to go and they set up an entire household. And, you know, they 
you know, places to put the baby and cribs and all this kind of stuff. And they're doing girl things. And they're emulating, they're, they're practicing being adults. And they're emulating, you know, how to take care of the baby and how to do this and how to do that. And that's okay because they're little kids and they're doing it with dolls. But they're, eventually, they're going to do it with real children. And real people. And they're going to be real women. And they're, are they, are we going to say that they're just going to practice emulating being a good mother? Or are they going to be good mothers? Now, the practice is the beginning of learning. Seeing, you creating the pattern, you know, of how to do it. How to do what you do with things. And that's a mental pattern. That we create in our minds. You know, I knew a young girl growing up and and my daughter would, was good friends with her. And she said when she got $5, she spent it. She spent it on stuff for herself right away. She wasn't really a selfish girl. But that was the pattern that she's seen. When her father made money, he spent it on himself. Went and bought beer or, you know, went out to a game and he, he spent it on himself. And so that's the pattern. So she imitates her pattern. I, I said, you know, I always wanted to write a book or a story or something, an article, born in the land of giants. Because small children are all born in the land of giants. Everybody around them is a giant. They, what do they weigh? Eight pounds? Ten pounds? What do their parents weigh? 150, 180, 200 pounds? Uh, what do they stand? They stand 19 inches tall. Their parents stand 6 feet tall. These are giants to a baby. They're going to look up to that parent. You know, the parent picks them up. It feeds them. It cleans them. It bathes them. They're, that parent is their giant. And they, they're going to admire in their their mind's eye that giant. That's their God. And if their God gets five bucks and spends it on himself, they're going to get five bucks and spend it on himself. They're going to emulate the patterns of their parents. That's where they're going to start. Now, what they do, are they going to rebel and do the absolute opposite of whatever their parents did? Because they're rebelling against their parents? Parents build, you know, houses of ticky-tacky lined up all in a row like the song. And so they rebel against that, against that and become hippies and live out in the woods in a camp and what have you. They rebel against that. What they do is a product of their giant. It's a product of their giant plus the element of rebellion or conformity. Rebellion, conformity, what's the difference? Still, the motivating factor in your life is that thing which you're reacting to. It's not spiritual. It's just it's just physical and mental patterns that you're manifesting. But the spiritual is there. The spirit is going to say, I don't want to do either one of these things. I want to do this because it's righteous. But then again, we go back to the question we asked at the beginning of the first show is... What spirit are we listening to? Are we listening to the spirit of life? 
or the fallen spirit of evil. Who's going to have a, a pattern of reaction to this that is based on spirit, but not the whole spirit of God. So what is the one characteristic, there's actually several, but what is at least one of the major characteristics that you're not going to find in the spirit of Satan? At least not going to readily find in the spirit of Satan. Sacrifice. Satan is not going to sacrifice himself for you. He'll sacrifice you for himself, but he's not going to sacrifice himself for you. What is the one characteristic we see is one of the most predominant characteristics of the character of Jesus Christ? He sacrificed himself for you. Pattern. Where do you see that pattern? Now, I know parents who sacrifice themselves for their children. But are they sacrificing themselves for their children? Is that sacrifice pure? Or are they hoping for something in return? Are they buying the love of their children? I mean, how many times do we hear that? You can't buy love. And they do it with gifts. You know, I give them the new car. He wrecks that. I give him another car. I give him an iPhone. He drops it in the water. I give him another iPhone. Are you trying to buy the love? Well, obviously, we can say, yeah, look, he's trying to buy his love by showering this kid with the gift. He's spoiling that kid. Well, that's the extreme. What about the minor, the, the more subtle way in which we spoil our children? We don't give them everything they want. But we give them some things we want because we don't want them to be angry with us. We don't want them to be mad at us. We don't want to push them into rebellion against us. So we compromise something in our relationship. We let them get away with something. I remember that there was a, there was a place at the local school. I used to do work down there. And I, I found out through the grapevine or whatever that there's a place that certain kids, that, you know, they almost everybody comes to that school on bus because it's a rural area and they some of them are on the bus for over an hour every day because they come from so so far away. But there was a place where young teenagers, before they got on the bus and went to their separate ways, they would go and make out at school. And you could go around to a certain place and nobody would see you. You couldn't be seen from the road. You couldn't be seen from the bus. But you were close enough that when you heard the bus engine start up, you could get out there and get on the bus. And they would go there and, you know, fondle each other and make out or whatever and uh, unseen. And I I didn't know that was going on there at the time. And uh, the principal came out and the principal was going to walk around that way. And all of a sudden he stopped. And he turned around and he walked going around the long way. He wasn't going to go that way. Which would have been shorter for him. And there was a student nearby and says, yeah, you don't want to go there. And I said, why not? And he says, because that's where all the kids make out before they get on the bus. (laughs) So that's how I found out. And sure enough, later on, I happened to be working in a place where I could see them a little bit. 
you know, and they, they go over there. I mean, they don't just start making out right away, but it's their little private place that they go. And he knew it. He knew that's what was going on back there. He wasn't stupid. I've worked in that guy's house. I knew who he was. But he wasn't going around that because he didn't want to see. He didn't want to confront that. He didn't want to deal with that. So he avoided it. Very simple little story. Now ask yourself, when you're raising your children, when you're dealing with your neighbor, do you avoid certain things? you, you avoid rebuke when you should have rebuked? You say, no, that's not right, dear. You can't do that. I can't allow you to do that. I can't, I can't allow you to do that with impunity. I need to rebuke that. And you need to stand up on your own. And you don't let these boyfriends manipulate you. It's not important. If they want to manipulate you, if they want to use you, don't let that happen. Come to me. Let me deal with it. I remember once when my daughter was very little, the neighbors were asking her to go on this outing or something, and she didn't really want to go. But she didn't know how to say no to the neighbor. But she came to me and told me that she didn't want to go. And she did, and she said honestly that she didn't know how to say no without offending them. They wouldn't take no for an answer. And she knew they wouldn't. And I said, okay. Because I actually, you know, it was a conversation there. I said, so do you want to go? Because I could tell there was hesitation. So-and-so was going to ask if I can go. Under the, and I said, well, do you want to go? Because I mean, the way she was asking, I knew there was some sort of reservation. She says, no, I don't really want to go, but I don't know how to say. So anyway, in the course of that conversation, I realized what was going on. And I said to her, I says, you tell her, I said, you can't go. That I'm not going to let you go. And that was all she needed. She knew I was going to support her. And the reason why I said she can't go, because I knew she didn't really want to go. The spirit was telling her, don't go. And she didn't want us, that, but the the social pressure was too much. But it wasn't so much that she couldn't come to me and tell me that she was having a problem with it. So in that way, I strengthened her. She's very good at saying no now. <laughs> She's scary. <laughs> but the point was, is that at the small child, she needed that support to strengthen her. To say that, and she... What she saw is that her father spent his reputation, because everybody says, oh, he is so strict, he won't even let her go on this outing. He's so mean. He's such a mean dad. <laughs> I can take it. You can, you can think I'm a mean dad, that I won't let her go. But the only reason I wouldn't let her go is because I knew she didn't really want to go. And something in her was saying, don't go. And so I, I backed her. I didn't say, well, she's the one who didn't want to go with you, but she was afraid to say, you know, I didn't have to explain it. You just think what you want. And they thought poorly of me. But my daughter understood that. And she gives strength to her children because that's that's what she imitates. The other daughter, uh, in, this is never another situation, like I said earlier, where her father gets money and he spends it on himself, self-indulgent. You know, he buys uh, liquor. She buys candy. Candy is dandy. Liquor is quicker, as the poem says. But she buys candy. She has a weight problem today. A, a big weight problem today. 
because she buys food for herself, probably not the best food, and consumes it. And she's not an alcoholic, but she eats food too much. So the pattern that her father was setting has been passed on down to her. How does she escape that pattern now? How many patterns have you passed down to your children? Weakness. How many weaknesses did you pass down to your children? How many weaknesses do you pass to your neighbor? How many weaknesses do you pass to your whole nation? We see elections going on. People are going to vote. They're going to vote for this candidate. They're going to vote for that candidate. And this this election, probably more than any other election I have ever seen in my long, long history of watching elections, all the way back to Adlai Stevens and, and Ike, I have never seen such a bizarre election in, in the United States. I've never seen such a... But I've seen some bizarre leaders in other countries even now. And you're thinking, you got 300 and, what, 60 million, 90 million Americans, and this is what you come up with for candidates? That's, this is the best of the best to lead your country? I'm astounded. But I'm not. Because it's inevitable. You've been weakening one another for a century. Moving more and more to socialism. Hanging that bait out. Rewarding the slothful, illegal immigrant to Australia, as we talked about on the last show, with $470 a week. And the hard-working, industrious individual who's paid into the system his entire life is only getting $300 a week. And you don't expect riots? <laughs> you don't expect bloodshed in the streets? You're baiting it. You've weakened your society. You've weakened the morality. You've removed the morality of your society. So how do we get back? How do we get this other spirit of life flowing through us, healing us as a nation? We have become a cancerous nation. That's why cancer is on the rise is because spiritual choices that we have made. We don't love our neighbor as much as we love ourselves. We love ourselves more. We don't love our children as much as we love ourselves. We we cater to our children. We spoil them. We don't stand for righteousness. We don't pass on righteousness. We do not sacrifice ourselves daily. We do some. But you have to, it isn't you love your neighbor almost as much as you love yourself. That's not the, that's not the command. You, you love your neighbor you, and yourself. That's not the command. You love yourself and don't forget about your neighbor. That's not the command. You love your neighbor as yourself. Now, how many of your neighbors do you love? Do you love those who love you? Is that is that going to do it? Is that going to be is there going to be grace for you because you love those who love you? Or do you have to love those that hate and despise you? What's the command? What was the instructions? So you see you have a daughter that somebody abuses. Her husband or boyfriend or whatever abuses. And you hate him. And love her. You think that's going to set her free? Is that going to 
cast him out? Is that going to bind him? We talking about binding and loosening. That's what the church is supposed to be able to do. Bind and loosen. How do you bind evil? Do you bind evil with hate? Do you bind evil with judgment? Do you bind evil with anger? Do you Can you bind disease with any of those things? Because disease is the evidence that evil has crept in. And deceive, you know, cancer. Is evil creeping into the cells of your body so that the cells misidentify themselves? All your autoimmune disease are about misidentification. It's identity confusion. We're in a society that loves identity, you know, has this whole ID requirement. Everybody's got to have ID. Everybody's got to have state ID. Everybody's got to prove who they are. And it's always prove who they are in relationship to the state. That is a physical manifestation of an ID problem. Identity problem. And that identity problem is also manifesting itself in the physical realm with cancer and autoimmune diseases. Autoimmune diseases is where the body's immune system actually turns on the body. Lupus and I mean, there's just there's a whole long list of them of autoimmune diseases where the body turns AIDS turns on itself. It's all identity problems, and so what? What? Why are you having identity problems? Because you're not seeking the kingdom of God and His righteousness. You're seeking the righteousness of evil. The self-righteousness of evil. Now, you're not doing it entirely. In many ways, you're a good guy. You know, you, you take care of your family. You take care of your son. You take care of your daughter. You take care of your wife. You go to work. You, you do all these good things. That's great. But if you want to be whole, if you want to be holy, you got to do it in every aspect of your life, in every aspect of the community of your life. You know, back to the city where lots of good people, but corruption reigned in the places of power. So what about in your body, in your spirit, in your soul, in your mind? Are you perfect in Christ? Well, no, of course you're not. Do you need to be? Of course you do. Can you do it? No, you can't. It can be done unto you. How? What is blocking Christ from coming into you and filling you with life so that when you touch your neighbor, they are healed if they will receive the same truth? I mean, it's not completely up to you. Christ could overstep those bounds from time to time, but he did it according to the leading of the Spirit. The blind man, who did not yet have faith, but he gave him back his sight. And then you see the follow-up of Christ. And now he had faith, because it was done unto him. The child who spends the $5 on candy, because her father spent $5 on liquor. And that pattern goes on. Had she had a father who was more self-sacrificing, she may have imitated that. And her life would have been different. But ultimately, she must 
We must imitate in spirit and in truth, not just in our actions, but in spirit and truth, our Father who art in heaven, who is a giver of life, who sacrifices His will that you may have the choice to follow His will or not. He's not going to make you follow His will. He warns you that if you don't follow my will, if you don't follow my way, death will come. Deprivation will come. Disease will come. But the choice is yours. I'm not going to make these things come, but I'm letting you know that's the way it works. You jump off the building, you fall to the sidewalk. This is what is going to happen. If you choose a king, he's going to take and take and take and take and take and take. Because why are you choosing a king? Because you rejected God. If you choose a president, he's going to take and take and take and take. I don't care what party it is. Even under Ronald Reagan, the government spent more money. He took and took and took and took and took. And he didn't mean it that way. Maybe he was a nice guy. But it's going to happen that way. I mean, you have presidential candidates telling you, I'm going to have to raise taxes. I'm going to have to take and take and take more. And thousands, millions of people want to elect them. Because he's going to have to take and take and take more. I'm talking about Bernie Sanders. I mean, he said it. I'm going to have to raise taxes. In order to give you all the things that I want to give you. I'm a benefactor. But I exercise authority. I'm going to force other people to give. To take care of you. And to give you what you want. You know, that's why he kind of talks to that. You know, choppy way. That, he's telling you. All the other candidates are telling you what they're going to do, but you're not listening. You're not understanding the repercussions of that. You can go elect anybody you want. It's not going to make any difference. What's going to make a difference is how you relate to everybody else. You can change you, or you can allow you to be changed. It depends on what spirit you connect to. What father you emulate. Christ shows you what the Father looks like. How did He show you what the Father looks like? He sacrificed Himself for you. Who are you sacrificing yourself for? Your pride. Your vanity. Your time. Your energy. You can sacrifice your time and energy, but not your pride and your vanity. Not your judgment of others. You, you Say you have, back to that, that wife beater, abuser. Who may be your daughter, or, or maybe it's your son who's the wife. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, the point is, is how do you deal with that? You know, do you forgive the abuser, or you just have sympathy for the abused? You can't help the abused just by having sympathy for the abused. You know, you see the wife who's beaten. Yeah, I actually, know of a case where the guy. You know, beat is beat the wife on a regular basis. Black and blue. Beat her black and blue. Little tiny woman. Big, huge guy. And we finally got to a situation where she didn't have to go back to him anymore. As a matter of fact, he had a stay away order. Couldn't go near her. And she had a place to stay where she didn't even have to pay rent. They would, you know, she could if she had the money. But she wouldn't be evicted if she didn't pay the rent. And there were people there to take care of her. She went back to the husband. And he wasn't even her real husband because they never really got married. 
had lots of kids with her, and he lived off of her welfare check. And she went back to him again. Why is that? Because the dog returns to his vomit and the pig to the mire. She was a part of the problem. How do we break those cycles? Now, that's the extreme case. There's a lot of minor cases. We'll look at some of those when we return to Keys of the Kingdom. Welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. And uh, so, what's the way back? What does it mean to seek the kingdom of God and His righteousness? What does that look like? You know, John Adams in a speech uh, to the military in uh, 1798, which is, you know, a long time after 1776, warned his fellow countrymen, stating, We have no government armed with power capable of contending with human passion unbridled by morality and religion. Our Constitution was made only for moral and religious people. In the holy inadequ- it is wholly inadequate to the government of any other. So he's talking about a moral and religious people. Now remember, religion back then was not what you think about God. You didn't just get to say, I accept Jesus and then suddenly you're saved. That, that didn't exist yet. You can't just say, Lord, Lord. You know, Jesus even tells that. You can't, it's not those who say, Lord, Lord, but those who do it the will of the Father. And religion was about doing. The definition of religion was the pious performance of your duty to God and your fellow man. It wasn't just sitting at home, reading your Bible and thinking about Jesus. It was actually loving your neighbor in physical ways that provides for your neighbor in a way that strengthens the poor and, and do this by the perfect law of liberty, by faith, open charity. Now, if you think that you can take care of all the widows and orphans and not neglect any of those people that are seeking the kingdom of God and His righteousness by just helping out those that you want to help out, go ahead and try that. But the early church found that that was impossible. The daily ministration was neglected. Widows and orphans were neglected. The needy of society were neglected. Because there were thousands and thousands of people that were turning away from the social welfare of Rome and Judea and turning to the social welfare of John the Baptist and Jesus Christ, which operated by faith, hope, and charity and the perfect law of liberty, instead of the Corbin of the Pharisees that made the word of God to none effect. The Corbin meaning sacrifice. The sacrifice of the Pharisees was making the word of God to none effect because they gave to the temple. They had to. They had scribes counting how much they were giving in. And they forced that contribution. If you didn't give it, you could actually be punished. And this was their social welfare system. This was their religion. But it wasn't by free will offering anymore. It was by forced offering once you signed up. 
And that made the Word of God then effect because it wasn't a daily free will choice, a free will offering, charity. It wasn't charity anymore. It was compelled offerings. A Corbin that was a compelled offering. And this changed the nature of society. And it weakened the poor. So that the, the least deserving get the most and the most deserving get the least. That's, that's the byproduct of this. But another byproduct is a degenerative society that is no longer moral, no longer sacrifices itself for the, their neighbor. Now, one of the things I, I started to say in the, the last half of the show is that you don't get grace by loving those that love you. You have to love those who despise and hate you. There is no grace. There is not sufficient grace. There is not the grace you're going to need for miraculous healing if you only forgive those who love you. You have to forgive those that hate you. So that when you see somebody abuse the woman, like I gave you the example of the woman who was beat by her boyfriend who she had several children with. The children were abused I mean, shaved the head of the children to humiliate them, yelled at them, screamed at them, uh, degraded them. She went back to that guy when she was finally set free from him. Now, eventually he was put into prison and she ended up leaving him and he got a stay away order and everything. But this is after much, much more abuse and he went to prison for other things. But then she got mixed up with another guy. It was serious moral issues. Serious demonic influences all around him. Because she didn't really change something in herself that needed to change that would repel the evil and only allow the good to come near. And this is, this is what you have to do. You know, John Adams is talking on a national level. He says, our constitution was made only for moral and religious people. Religious people being the people that actually pious performance of their duty to God and their fellow man. They're actually taking care of the needy. I mean, it used to be the church that was the welfare system. I mean, you go back to the 10 hundreds with with uh, Lady Godiva. The tax that they were imposing was to be given to the church to take care of the needy. It was the it was a welfare tax, and she said, "Don't impose that because that will destroy society." And I will give up all my wealth, not go riding naked through the street. That's not didn't happen. That story showed up a hundred years after the the death of this pious woman and her pious husband, who both gave up their wealth to set up hospitals, set up schools, set up libraries as a charitable act for the people. They gave up their wealth to do this. This is the nakedness. They stripped their wealth and power to provide for other people. They were humble, moral individuals who were self-sacrificing. We can't have that story get out. We've got to get the story of her riding naked through the street, which never happened. Everybody knows that story, but they don't know the true story. That's why I wrote that in the forward and why her picture is on the front of the Free Church Report. To show you what the real conflict is between us and God. Why God is not with us. Why we've abandoned God. We've rejected God. We've gone after constitutions that, and ways of creating governments and relating to one another that are not cast up, but cast us down. 
Do not make us great. Make us weak as a people. Now just talking about your individual relationship with your children, with your neighbors, with the people that abuse your children, abuse your neighbors. Do you love the abuser as much as the abused? That's hard for people to do, especially angry people, resentful people. Anger, resentment, fear, all the same thing. You have to love your enemy if you want to defeat them. It's like a lightsaber. And if you really love them. See, but you think love is caring about this individual who makes you feel good. Loving your children and hoping that they love you back. Because you're, you're trying to buy their love with your tolerance of their error. You, you, don't, you don't have to buy the love with gifts and nice cars and all this stuff. You can do the same thing on a much more subtle level. You compromise morality. You compromise the sacrifice your children need to make. You are not willing to crucify yourself for your wife, for your children. Allow yourself to be crucified for them. So you compromise morality. And you do it in very subtle ways. And and that's one of the reasons why we have festivals and why I I meet. I can only meet with so many people a day. On the phone, uh, talking to people, counseling people. We need to train up more ministers in the ways of Christ. I mean, and you think it's a challenge. It's a boot camp. A spiritual boot camp. If you want to train up. You want to train up, get on the network. Get connected. Start serving one another. Start sacrificing for one another. Start tending to the daily administration with one another. Form congregations. Free will assemblies. What we call them. Free will assemblies. Free assemblies. And start giving one to another. Sacrificing one another. Strengthen your pastors, your ministers. Whatever you want to call them. Robert Winthrop said, you know, he's considered a founding father. But anyway, men... In a word, must necessarily be controlled either by a power within them or by a power without them. Either by the word of God or by the strong arm of a man. Either by the Bible or by the bayonet. Now again, we go back to this power within them. Is this the spirit of God within them? Or other influences gotten into them? You know, you read the Bible, it can... You can you can twist the Bible to meaning almost anything you want. And people do it on a regular basis, which is why there's 40,000 different denominations. And most of them are workers of iniquity. They're doing the exact opposite of what Christ said. It's all in the Bible. The, the, the guy who wrote, and I, I started the page, and it's actually been shared already, but I haven't finished it yet, where he says, show me. Could you please show me, he says, a scripture. And of course, I go through. Abraham was tithing to the righteous king of peace. That's what Melchizedek, king of Salem, means. The righteous king of peace. Who was the righteous king of peace then? Well, according to Bible chronology, Shem was still alive. Wouldn't Shem be the king? Didn't he believe in not forcing the contributions of the people, but was there? And what did he do? He was physically there when Abraham had defeated this army that was subjugating people, one city-state after another. He defeated them in one night with all the people that he had set up altars with. They came to his aid to defeat this enemy. What were those altars? 
you don't know. They don't teach you. They don't teach you. They've twisted the Bible so you don't even know what those altars are. Those altars of stone are men, living stones, just like in the New Testament. That they people gave their sacrifice to to take care of the needy of society when there was needy. When somebody broke their back, when they broke their leg, they couldn't support their family. They would be destitute. They'd lose their home. They'd lose everything. They helped each other out. They cared about each other. And they practiced that caring about one another through faith, hope, and charity. Not through men who exercise authority and force the contributions of the people. Those men will bring decadence and corruption in your society. The righteous king of peace was a king that received only free will offerings and had ministers. And he brought food, bread, and wine to feed these troops of Abraham, which were a voluntary militia stopping an iniquity that invaded their land. Your land will be invaded. Did you read the article, Staff of Life, that went out in our newsletter? Are you signed up for our newsletter? Are you signed up on the network? It went out to those places, and you could read the Staff of Life. It talks about billions of tons of metric grain that are no longer available to you as an American. You know, we used to have six, seven years supply of grain in America. On the farm, in the control of your neighbor, who would sell it to you in hard times and bad times. And you had real money back then, back in 1960. You had real money in your pocket and you could buy that grain and it could get you through a famine you know how much extra grain you have now the extra surplus at any given year actually I think in 2015 2016 was 74 was it 74 million metric tons well that sounds like a lot right well you consume over 300 million a year so 74 million metric tons if you have a crop failure, won't last you to July. Won't last you to May. You'll be out of food. No bread in the land. We have numbers of articles that explain how this worked. This is how the fall of the republic was because of the price of grain. Can, can Could America, the land of plenty, go to a land of starvation and cannibalism and murder and mayhem? Could it do that overnight in a twinkling of an eye that could take place? So am I talking about storing up grain and food and supplies? No, I'm talking about seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. This vulnerability has come about because you haven't been doing that. You've been believing in your religion, but religion today is what you think about God. You believe in what you think about God, but you don't actually believe in the real God. You're not actually doing what he said. You're not bearing the fruit of a society that has daily bread, a daily ministration, who has cultivated leaders in charity. You've cultivated leaders in force, in control, in manipulation. And so now that's what you have. And that's that's what you deserve. Abraham did this. Moses did it, had a system of ministers that received the contributions of the people and took care of the daily administration. And the first century church did this. They said, look out amongst yourselves. Pick men you trust. We, the ones who Jesus appointed the kingdom to, will appoint men over this matter. So what church is doing that? Is the Catholic Church doing that? Jehovah Witness Church doing that? 
uh, the Episcopalian Church doing that. All those churches depend upon men who call themselves benefactors but exercise authority to not only take care of the people, but to take care of their ministers. Because none of those churches have truly complied with the dictates of Christ. They depend upon the fathers of the earth who they pray to and who they tell the people to pray to for their welfare. And such welfare has become a snare. And so now people want out of the snare, but they don't want to repent and seek the kingdom of God. You want to seek the kingdom of God, you have to start sacrificing yourself for one another. Not just for the perfect congregationalist, not just for the perfect minister, but even for those ministers who fall short of the kingdom of God. But you see them at least trying to do something in that direction. You get to choose on a daily basis. You know, if you see this minister not doing a good job, don't give to that minister. Give to another minister. Do that. Sacrifice yourself. Lay down your life daily for one another. Because that's what Christ came to show you how to do. Christ didn't come... So that you could all sing in your church and feel good. Christ came to serve. Do you go to church to serve? You know, they talk about great church service. I always tell the story where I was at a local church. And the the new pastor, new guy in town, he's actually from another church, had his little church service. And he says, uh, that, I think that was a wonderful church service, he told me. And to me, it was just astounding because I, I think a different way. And I think that church service, where was the service? All we did was sing and talk and stuff. There was no service. Nobody was helped. You know, half the people there are on government dole. Uh, you know, I mean, you got to remember, Social Security is government dole. Most of the people there, they send their kids to public school, government dole. Government is the benefactors who exercise authority. Government today is the fathers of the earth that we were told not to pray to. We were to pray to Father in heaven and rely upon the good will, charitable, free will, perfect law of liberty that provided for one another. You know, even if you had homeschooling, you could get together and have a private school too that is kind of a mix between homeschooling. And they do that. They don't even think about it, but they have these homeschooling clubs. Well, the homeschoolers get together and they plan some sort of activity. You know, they go to some business or they go to some field trip and they go together and they learn about where they go and they learn things there and they they get interacting with each other so they're outside of just the family unit. Most homeschoolers are better socially adjusted 10 years, 20, 30 years later than public school kids by far. The statistics are overwhelming. But one of the key things is they did not depend upon the benefactors who exercised authority. They did not force their neighbor to contribute to what they needed. They waited and prayed that their neighbor would help them if they needed help, but they also tried to stand on their own two feet. What about your children? Have you weakened your children? Have you failed your children? You were a giant once to your children, and they follow in your footsteps. Are their their lives screwed up? What about other people who are, you know, can we heal the body but not the soul? 
People sometimes say, well, I can't worry about the spiritual thing. I just have to get physically better. You, you, you're setting yourself up for a terrible fall. Because if you do not keep your eye on the spiritual... It's, it's interesting. Somebody recently told me that, but at the same time, they told me about going to you know, a practitioner who is much more in the natural realm. Not quite like the church. But they, they, there's a lot of good elements there. And they say that if Christ is not at the core... That none of this, none of these remedies that they are offering are going to work. They say that, and that's of course what I say. I agree. Now I may take it a little bit farther than them. I don't know. I don't know them that well. But the reality is, is that Christ is where the instantaneous healing will come. Our society is a sick society, rampant with identity diseases, cancer, uh, autoimmune diseases, psychoses that bring about drug addiction, all your all your problems, the the uh, bipolar issues, all these things are related to identity problems. But we don't know who we are. And one of the reasons we don't know who we are is we don't want to know who we are because we can't handle the truth. And I pray that all of you will learn to handle the truth. And one of the things that the ministers need to learn, and we're all ministers, there's official ministers and then every member of a congregation, every congregant is a minister one to another. But what we are to be is that we are living in darkness. This the, the world in which we have created for ourselves by our self-indulgence, by our neglect, by our slothfulness is a world of darkness. Each of us must become a light. In order to do that, that light must be kindled by Christ. Satan is known as a light bearer too. His light is not the light of Christ. It is absent some of the characteristics of Christ. And this goes back to what we talked about at the beginning of this last two hours. Is that we can be nice guys. We can have good qualities. But if we don't have the whole armor of God, the whole light spectrum of Christ, the whole righteousness of God. That's what we're looking for. If we don't have that, we are headed for a fall. We are headed for stumbling blocks. We will not survive the the crisis ahead. The spiritual, physical, moral, economic, political, geophysical crisis ahead. We must put on the full armor of God, the full character of God, the full name of God. The name of Christ, the Messiah, the anointing. We have to sacrifice our own egos, our own comfort, our own pride, our own vanity for others. Not just for those who love us, but even for those who hate us. And in that sacrifice, in that completeness of that sacrifice, Christ can enter in and clean out the demonic influences in our own life that have crippled our children, crippled our neighbors, brought illness and sickness into the world. It's called repenting, turning around, thinking another way. 
being another way, acting another way. And that's what we have failed to do in our churches. There's only a few churches that take care of the social welfare of the people. Very limited and very controlled. But anyone who calls themselves Christ and does not have a daily ministration is not following the way of Christ who appointed ministers, who appointed ministers, who appointed ministers. That was the way. Very clearly. There was, no, there was a neglect of the daily ministration until they did that. And we had to go that way in righteousness with not covetous practices, but charitable practices in order to receive the blessings of God. And that is still the case today. Until we meet again, peace on your house and may God be with you. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net.